Good morning, everyone. It's really good to have you here. It is May 22nd, and we are still here. (laughs) I saw a billboard that said, that was awkward. Matthew 24... 39, I believe, it says um, that, that no, one, not, no one knows the day or the hour of the return. And uh, I think we need to be careful. This is the fourth time in my lifetime someone has tried to call a date on the end of the world. And it came and it went. And when they really are, are giving false teaching about it. And we as a church need to be aware of that. We need to be um, on guard against that. Because what it does is if, it, if that day passes... And uh, you've called people to it, and you've sold everything, and you've, you've leveraged. You come out to be a liar at the end of it, because you've staked your faith on something that wasn't true. And so you need to be discerning as we do this. And, and I just think about the lives that are really frustrated right now, and how, um, how something that we'll, we'll sell the boat on, or sell the farm on, to, to, uh, to promote that's really not true. And so we need to be careful about that as the church. Um, I, I just got back from uh, Romania and I kind of gave you a report last Sunday on this and um, uh, got back Wednesday and we were up the equivalent of 27 hours and I don't know about you but I'm kind of done with the, the lock-in hours, you know, the youth lock-ins that we used to have where you're up all night. I was really tired and exhausted and so I've been uh, resting and getting ready for this weekend uh, we had a great time, though. We just saw um, what God is doing in Romania. They had come through communism in the early 90s. They had a major revolution. And uh, I was a part of a church there. That's the oldest Baptist church in Bucharest. And uh, just a fascinating work of what God is doing in the lives of people who endured through communism. They've been there since the 1800s and endured through communism. I don't know about you, but that really just endures my faith. It endears my faith to them to be around people who suffered during a very difficult time in a nation's history. And we're going to be talking about that. So I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians as we continue in this series called The Appraisal of All Things. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 27 to 30. And uh, remember, this is, this is a uh, book that was written when Paul was in prison. And uh, he was more concerned about the advancement of the gospel than he was whether or not he was in prison and who he was with. Wasn't that some type of faith? You know, that's why he could say very boldly in verse 6 that uh, he was sure of this, that uh, he who began a good work would bring it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's why he could say that he wanted us to know that what's happened to him has actually advanced the gospel because the Praetorian Guard was trusting Christ and, and he never overlooked an opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so he was willing to suffer for it. That, that's why he could say for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Because it was a win-win world for him. He could leverage everything everything about him so that the gospel could go through him and and if the worst case scenario happened on earth where he lost his life again i'm with the lord and that's the type of faith we're called into through the book of philippians where christ is everything and everything else is under him there's nothing greater than him and that therefore we're through this reading and through this studying and through this talking about the and memorizing the word of god We're really to do an appraisal of all things. Is anything more important than Jesus Christ? Is anything more valuable in my life? Is anything worth more than Christ to me? Because if it is, it needs to go. It needs to just be appraised. Junk. 
rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's what we're calling you into. And uh, today we're going to be talking about suffering. Not actually a topic we all like to talk about. But what does God do with suffering? And how does suffering, um, how, how does that a blessing in our lives? Listen to what the word of God says. Verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1, it says this. Only, <coughs> excuse me, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. There's two things I just want to start out with that are promises from God. That if you are a follower of Christ, if you follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, you can expect in your life. Two things. You ready? First one is salvation. Second one is suffering. Look at this. It says, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him also, but, but suffer for his sake. We're called to suffering. As his church, I know it's a foreign concept for us to get our minds around what this type of suffering is. Here, Paul, in Paul's life, it meant people who were persecuting him, who were going after his life. If you follow his missionary journeys throughout the book of Acts, you will see the pattern of suffering. And you will see him getting beaten, and ultimately you will see him getting martyred for the cause of Christ. Because nothing was as great as Christ. Now, we don't like to suffer. Anyone, I mean... Have the audacity to say, I like suffering. None of us do. None of us do. But we're called to. It's God does something through it. God does something that we couldn't have planned with the greatest of of leisure or comforts or pleasure in this life. God works through suffering. But what I found is many Christians want the blessing of Christ, but they do not want to be called the curse of this world. Many Christians want the cross, want, want Christ, but they do not want to deny themselves daily and take up their cross and follow Him. Many Christians love the victory of Jesus, but they don't like the challenge of the everyday. They just want the one moment deliverance. They don't want the enduring, the, the, the grind of, of following Christ in the, in the midst of suffering. Many Christians want to live life to the fullest. But they don't want to die to themselves in order that Christ can live in and through them. And the scriptures are calling us here. Folks, we need to expect to suffer. If we're going to advance the kingdom of God through our lives, we can expect to suffer. And I don't want you to be surprised by it. And But the problem is, is whenever we think about suffering, we go into the fear mode. We don't go into faith mode. And fear will kill us. In our effectiveness with the, with the Lord and advancing His kingdom. Fear is just that. Fear is the perception of a loss of security. Um, so, so when the market tanks and you've got investments in the market and you go, oh no, what's, what? And you think about retirement and you think all of a sudden your lifestyle in retirement just goes like that. And you, oh no, what am I going to do? So your relationships, that, that boyfriend says a word to you or says a phrase to you, they go, oh no, are, are we going, are we still going out or what's that? And, and your perception of security just 
dwindles and you go into fear mode. Something happens to your child or you say, or your child says something and you, you go off in your fear for what's happening in their lives. Fear, that perception of loss of security. And when we follow Christ and we will suffer, we get that perception. I won't be safe. Who's going to protect me? Am I going to be okay? Will I have peace in my life? Will I have comfort in my life? And scripture is going to call us out of that in order that God may do greater things through suffering than he could with whatever we could structure or organize for our lives. And scripture says here, when we go into fear mode, it says, look at verse 28, it says, we're not to be frightened in anything. There's a Greek word on that word frightened. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's called tyrestai. Can you say that? Tyrestai. Okay, some of you now know Greek. <laughs> um, the whole picture of that is, is we have to go outside and see classical Greek on what that word means. It's, it's a picture of a horse going out of control because it's startled by an unknown object. You ever been around a horse? How many of you know horses? Okay, I, uh, I grew up riding horses. And when I went in my first year at Taylor University in the uh, middle of nowhere, Upland, Indiana, they had equestrianship club and I had nothing better to do. So I signed up for equestrianship club and we had to go into this big barn and we had to take these overpriced horses and we had to, in the morning, we had to go and we had to brush them down, put a saddle on them and take them into the arena and, and ride them around. So I did that with my horse, but this morning was a night like, was a storm like last night. Okay, so the thunder is going. By the way, it was five o'clock last night when that storm rolled in, and the prediction was for the end of the world to end at six, and we had thunder and light. It was a service like no other, and then <laughs> the alarms went off, and everyone starts going, Hishma, did you lie to us? Did you lie to us? Everyone else said there's a day and this is going to happen. And we had to vacate this place and go downstairs. And because the torrent, we could see the funnel cloud out there. And, and so it passed. Thank the Lord. But, you know, that was the environment. The horses were real nervous. And we had to come in there. And, you know, I had this picture of the horse kicking me right here and sending me through the wall or something. And, and you take this huge animal and you're comforting it and you're brushing it down and you're putting the saddle on and then you're putting the the bit in its mouth for the bridle and then it goes and you walk it down and you hop up on it and this it's a tin roof so the the rain is just pelting the roof and all of a sudden the horses are like that and you're never supposed to get nervous when you're on a horse okay because they can sense it so you fake it right you start whistling or something like that or you know faking it in front of the horse well all of a sudden a horse broke loose and this girl on it freaks out. Never do that. So she freaks out. She's going, whoa, whoa. And the horse is going like that. And the instructor says, everyone stop. And so we all stopped our horses. <laughs> and this horse ran around and bucked her off into the wall. And she put a hole in the wall. And thankfully, she got up and walked away from it. We all clapped. I mean, it was an am- amazing moment. But scripture is saying, don't be like that horse. Don't be like that out of control horse spooked by things. You're not in control of that. You can't, you can't, you know, understand. Don't be out of control. Now, that's much easier said than done, isn't it? When scripture says, don't freak out when you're going through times of suffering. Don't be like that out of control horse. That's much easier said than done. But Paul is going to say that God is actually going to do something with this. 
that if we move outside of fear and into faith, God is going to use this as a great grace in our lives. Let's hang on because I want to talk to you about how fear erodes faith. How fear erodes faith. The progression of fear really moves in from a, from a point of certainty or belief into a, a loss of certainty in our lives. That moves us into doubt. If you look at how fear is, is shown in the scriptures, you'll see it even in the garden when God had created this beautiful environment of trust and, and openness and acceptance. That when, <coughs> when Satan came in and said, did God really say that? He put doubt into the mind of Eve. And she lost the certainty that God was a good God and wanted her best in life. And so she checked out of that and was tempted. If you look even through the book of Genesis, you'll see over and over how fear dominates in people's life. Like Abraham. Abraham was told, you will be a blessing. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And, and you will be made into a great nation. But he didn't have the heir. He didn't have his Isaac yet. So he and his Sarah were up in their age. And they said, what do we do in fear? Did God really mean this by with you? No, of course he didn't. Hagar. Uh-oh. Ishmael, uh-oh, conflict. So she, they both feared. You showed them fearing and losing, losing their confidence and their certainty about who God is. Fear does that. It erodes it. It makes, puts us in a place of doubt. It also gives us a loss of connection. So we drift. We drift away from God and we drift into ourselves, which even gives us this, this later stage of fear to a loss of control. This loss of control where we move and we just kind of um, move into more of delusion. Where we start thinking about all the things that could happen. That, that, that might happen and we worry about that. And we move from certainty to an area of doubt. From connection to drift where it's just we become isolated. And then a loss of control into delusion. Just a delusion about but it doesn't matter anymore who can speak sense to you. You're just going to fear and you worry. I don't know if you've been around someone like that who's just in constant fear, constant worry. Something bad's going to happen and you can't calm them down. Well, that is not the call of Scripture to us. The call of Scripture is exactly, Scripture comes in and tells us, no, we've got to move away from fear and into faith. This is how we do it. We have to move away from that doubt back into certainty. How do we do that? Through faith, through faith convictions, overcoming fear is going to require us to believe something. Believe something about God. This is who he is. That's why the word of God is so important to us at a time of fear and a time of suffering. If you check out of the word of God, you lose your certainty and you begin to doubt that God is good. We have to go back and be anchored in the word. Some of you memorize the word. I would say if you're suffering, memorize the word. That will give you God's voice in your life. It'll speak his truth. You will have, this is what I believe about God. This is what's happening to me. This is what I believe about God. Versus it feels like God doesn't care. It feels like God's not here. It feels like God doesn't exist. Many, many biblical writers said that when they went through suffering. They said, God, are you here? I feel like you're distant. Day after day, I cry out to you, but I hear nothing. You know what they're doing? They're expressing their heart to him. They're believing in him while they're processing the fear. 
Secondly, there's the, the Bible constructs a picture of community. In the Old Testament was the nation of Israel. In the New Testament was the church. These are two environments with body of believers, with the people of God that God has crafted for us, for us to process our fears with and to endure through sufferings with together. We're called in that so that we have that acceptance and encouragement so that we know who we're walking with. And Paul even gives the picture here that we're engaged with it, with him in the same conflict that they saw. He did. Remember when he was arrested in Philippi in Acts 16? He was arrested and he was beaten and he's put in shackles and he's thrown into prison. They had an interactive experience with his suffering. But they knew that now, even though he was uh, imprisoned in Rome, that they were going to they were going to suffer because they were following the same Jesus as he. And then security. Scripture gives us security on the promises of God that builds an assurance of our salvation. Paul, Paul writes that this is a sign not only of their destruction, but of your salvation. He gives the assurance of their salvation that if you believe in Jesus and you follow him, you will suffer. That suffering is a sign that you're his. Because what you're doing when you follow Christ is you're, you're confronting darkness with light. You're, you're confronting evil with good. That's the gospel. It confronts this world. And it shows them that they, in Christ, are completely, they're, they're, they're completely loved in Christ. They're perfectly loved. They're completely forgiven. And they're finally overcoming the power of sin and death. Only through Christ. That's what the gospel does. That's, that's why Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.12. He says, this is why I suffer like I do. I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. How do we do this? How do we move from uncertainty to certainty? From kind of drift back into community? From out of control back into security. Well, scripture gives us three things here. Number one, the first one, let's take a look at this. He wants to hear that they were standing firm in one spirit. Safe environments are environments where we stand together in one spirit. Now, what spirit are we talking about there? Are we just talking about a spirit of unity or a spirit of just go get this? No, it's a spirit, the spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's talked about that, that this spirit has been given to us. John writes in John 14, and he describes Jesus teaching him that he would not leave them as orphans after they left. He would give the Holy Spirit and he would guide you into truth. He'd be your teacher. He'd be your comforter. He would give them peace through the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul would write about in 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of, look at this, of power. And of love and of self-control. These, these really target the areas of what happens to our lives when we go through suffering. We wonder, wow, I'm out of control and we're, we're kind of just, we're kind of just delusioned by things. And here we go. No, this is God's power, His love, His self-control. And the reward of following the leading of the Spirit together as a body are these three things. His love, His power, and his self-control in our lives. Safe environments are also environments where we're striving together. Look at that another word. It says that we're with one mind. 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving together is, is more of a vocabulary like an athlete or a soldier who we're striving together. We're not shooting each other in the back. We're mo- looking forward. We're moving forward. They're advancing the ball. We're winning the game. We're, we're uh, fighting that same battle to advance the kingdom of God through our lives. With one mind, striving side by side. The picture is that we're locked and ready. I had a lady come up after the first service this morning. She said, man, this, this last week my sister died. And uh, my small group came around me. And when you talked about striving together, that's the picture. I've never been in a place where people have gathered around me when I had gone through so much suffering. And, and I am getting through this. Because people came alongside of me and loved me. See, that's the power of the Spirit through people's lives. When you're available to come to the aid of someone suffering. We're called to do this together, not isolated. We're to be this community, this society of sufferers. As we are people who are experiencing the salvation of God. We're called into that. With one mind, intent, one focus, being on the same page. For what? It says, for the faith of the gospel. So whenever you put your, line, your life on the line for the gospel, there's going, to be, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be suffering. I had the opportunity to pray this week with um, a group of Romanians who went through communism. And uh, during communism, it was illegal for them to baptize anyone in their church. And baptism is a picture of someone's conversion, of them, them turning their lives over to Christ and following Christ. And it's something commanded by the scriptures. And they said, no, we, we must believe God rather than man. And so they baptized people, fully knowing that someone in the church would go and tell the authorities. And the informant would get rewarded for that financially. And the pastor would get arrested and thrown into jail for a few days. Or interrogated. Or beaten up. There's something about it when I'm sitting around praying with some of these guys who endured that. Who strived, to, who strove together. And, and, you know, you see the church fighting against that. In year 2000, I went to Kiev, Ukraine, and I saw a church worshiping there. They had endured communism. Their pastor was beaten and put in prison for years. And after the fall of uh, communism, he was set free and he went back to pastoring that church. His eyes were so weakened by poor condition in prison that it was like he had bottle caps in his glasses and he was reading his Bible and he was praying. There's just something about these people who have suffered that's a blessing to my life. I I respect them. I admire them. I want to be like them. I want a faith that's courageous, not a wimpy kind of faith. I want a life that's less concerned about my comfort and my pleasure and my little, little kingdom than the kingdom of God when I spend time around these people. And so it's a blessing to us when we spend time with people who are suffering. Tomorrow, some of our uh, people are going to hop on a plane and go to Dominican Republic and they're going to go to Santiago, a, a city of over a million people. And they're going to serve at that the Trash Mountain community there. And they're going to see people who are suffering and they're going to they're going to take on some of the issues, things with those people to love them with the love of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done some of those trips, but to, to help the suffering when you strive together, you take on some of what they're dealing with. 
I took on some of the diseases of the people I was serving. Some of our missionaries who've come back, like Chuck Preston, Chuck and Bernita, have taken on malaria multiple times so that they could advance the gospel. You're going to do that. You're, whether it's ridicule, whether it's loss of, of respect, whether it's uh, loss of health, to advance the kingdom of God involves suffering. And we should not reject that, church. We should be open to it. We should expect it. We should be willing that in the appraisal of everything, even suffering doesn't compare to the glory of Jesus Christ in my life. And when you have standing together, and when you have striving for the gospel, you are going to have suffering. It's another picture. It's another picture. It says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Let's just stop there. That word, it's been granted. There's another translation that says it's been appointed to you. There's another translation that says God has given you the gift. Not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. That is so un-American, that, that angle. To view suffering as a gift from God. One of the passages I want to point you to that kind of amplifies this passage in Philippians 2 is 2 Corinthians 4. If you have your Bibles open up, I'd like you to take you there. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. Paul explains his suffering. <clears throat> He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed. I love that word. It means at wonder at what's going on here. (laughs) In other words, we don't have to know why we're suffering, but we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We've not lost our hope. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And then follow down with me to verse 16. It says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And here's the key point for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know what this is saying? As he's gone through suffering for the gospel, he's actually saying, this is preparing me for the eternal glory that's going to happen so that someday I will look back on even my worst angle of suffering here and say, this far out, whatever I gave up, whatever I had to endure, whatever I had to suffer, it was could not be compared to the glory of this. It was far worth it. In other words, I wish I had had more if this is the glory of it. Max Ocato in his book, Fearless, looks at this and says, even if we can't understand why we suffer right now, there is a future purpose in suffering. And it's like right now, it's, it's like we're in a womb right now. And, and uh, babies in the womb of, of, of their mothers, they have, they have eyes, but they can't see. They have nostrils, but they're not using them yet. But when they're born and life is, is breathed into them as that, as they tar- start taking breath and they open their eyes, they use it then. 
And here's the picture. There's going to be an eternal glory that we experience due to our suffering that far outweighs the the magnitude of the hurt of suffering on this earth. And I I would even say, in a hundred years, or if Christ returns, or you die, whichever happens first, in a hundred years when we're all in heaven, let me just say, I'm going to probably come up to you and go, tell me, was anything you gave up for Christ, was anything you sacrificed worth something like this? And you go, far exceeds it all. Far, you, will, you will tell me that. You will tell me that if you know Jesus Christ and you experience his glory in the future. So church, appraise, make a huge appraisal for your life. Are you living in fear, trying to protect your life? Or are you, are you, are you living by faith? What does this look like in contemporary American life? Well, some of us are literally suffering. And scriptures are saying here, stand. Stand together. Understand the word of the Lord and apply it to your life and know the certainty. Know the certainty that God has called you to this at this moment to be revealed in you in a way he could never be revealed if you had the greatest day of your life. Strive, strive together. Body of Christ, gather around those who are suffering. Love them, show the spirit of unity, the spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Don't spire out of control. And suffer, suffer reflecting the Lord, reflecting his grace. Acts 5 where shows a picture of, of Peter being beaten and tried and kicked out of the temple, never to preach in that name again, that name of Jesus. And what did he say? They left rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for the name. So many people, when they go through suffering, they go, what did I do to deserve this? And the New Testament church said, what did I do to deserve this? Same words, totally different mindset. Now, I will never ask you, would you please pray for suffering today? (laughs) That God just, you know, gives you great suffering. But I will tell you, never, never reject it. Because what you will find, especially if you endear yourself with those who are suffering, you see a God of power and of love and of self-control working in their lives. And if I am honest, some of the greatest times of growth in my life where I moved away from fear and into faith were times where something was taken away from me, where something crashed down and I had nowhere else to turn than than the goodness and the grace and the power and the love of God in my life. And so I'm I'm not going to ask you to to pray for this one, but I am going to ask you to stand and to strive and to suffer modeling this Christ of the scriptures. We are called away from the gods we have made against suffering in our country. We are called to step away from the God of materialism, the God of comfort, the God of pleasure, the God of financial security, the God of control, the God of acceptance, the God of position or rights or influence or significance. And we're called to follow Christ, to live Christ where he is number one. In order to step away from these things, 
We will suffer loss. We will. Scripture is going to tell us whatever we suffered as loss. Paul said, I count them as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may know Christ. That's, that's what we're called into. That's what we're called into. And I don't know about you, as I look at this, I'm humbled by this passage and I've had experience. And, and whenever you put your life on the line for the gospel, you're going to experience some type of suffering or you're going to be driven to people who are suffering for it. And you know what? I want, to, I want it to be said of us that we are standing together, we're striving together, and we're suffering together to advance the gospel. I want to be a generation. I want to be a generation of followers of Christ here in Topeka, Kansas, that, that we can be counted on, if needed, to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we can withstand ridicule, some of us may lose things. We may lose relationships. We may lose... I, I want to check out of the pattern of this world. I even want to check out of the pattern sometimes of the American church that's just focused on sometimes entertaining and keeping people in and, and, and you know, keeping people happy. And sometimes we need to make a difficult decision that costs us personally in order to advance the gospel. And I want to be a church who, can, who, who Jesus can count on when he thinks Topeka, Topeka, Kansas, how's the gospel advancing? I want to count on Fellowship Bible Church, whatever that looks like. I want to be a man of God who does not run away and insulate my life from suffering, but engages it, understanding that it's the conflict it's the suffering that Jesus did. It's the suffering of Paul. It's the suffering of the apostles, the suffering of the New Testament church, suffering of the martyrs through the ages. And it's the suffering that, that is ours when we put our lives on the line for the gospel. I want to be engaged in this conflict to advance the gospel. Light and darkness, good over evil, righteousness over sin, because Christ, folks, He's everything. Everything else pales in the realm of Christ, in the realm of this world. Let's pray. Father, we live in a country uh, that you well know that likes to insulate itself from suffering. But if you are really going to work in our lives, we cannot reject it or despise it. We need to engage it. Help us to have the attitude that we see in 2 Timothy 1.12 that we're not ashamed to suffer because we know who we've believed and we're convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your son, who suffered and died for us, who when we follow in his footsteps will experience forms of his suffering in order to advance the gospel. Lord, we really want that gospel to advance through our lives. And so we are saying by faith right now, we want our hearts to be open, that if needed, we would suffer for you so that the name of Jesus would go through our lives and that we could live Christ and to die would be gain for us. 
Help us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.